House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is here. I am. Here I am. Here. <laughs> You're there. I'm here. I'm there. You I'm are here. there. Here Present. everywhere. Another, another great summer day yes somewhere especially up your way yeah well it's always hot yeah. where i'm wherever i am it's hot <laughs> that's right it's hot sunny <laughs> beautiful mm. people just love it they're always in yes. a good mood around me <laughs> absolutely <laughs> al what are you laughing at what is, i am the epitome of cheer <laughs> you are Cheer. So now, it, Citadel. So you didn't watch Citadel. What, what, what's your latest movie? How come you haven't been doing any movie reviews? What's going on? I see something about Speakman, but Speakman is 1990s. What's going on? That's 1991. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great film. That's coming. They, that's going to Blu-ray again as a uh, 4K transfer. Have they got nothing better to do than 1991 Speakman movie? That's a great film. What was that again? Uh, uh, I already I lost the name. Well, I, I, I anytime I've seen any of his films, it's the same. Yeah, his first movie is great. Um, uh, Perfect Weapon. There it is. Great. It's a great martial art film. Massive. One of the best. See a little Boston best. accent talking. Marshall. Marshall. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said, you turn into Boston when you go Marshall. Oh, no. My name is John oh, no. Kennedy, and this is Marshall. <laughs> car. <laughs> Park the car in Harvard Yard. Well, so, so you Marshall. Got, Marshall. No movie there we go. reviews. You're slacking on your job. <laughs> I know. You know? What are you doing other than going I around know. partying all the time and you're and going to concerts, you know? Yeah. Okay. See, who, whose concert are you going to now? I see you got another thing going on. Well, it won't be into August. That's Lita Ford. Lita Ford. Lita Ford. Wow. Yeah. Are you, are, I, I, but you're, you get to meet her and go in the back room. So I guess what, she, she got you pushing her wheelchair around? Is that, are you wheelchair? Oh, you're going to get, you're going to get emails for that one. Well, at this point, they think I'm an ageist. I'm as old as Lita Ford, so I can say this. Yes. You know, uh, so you're going to be pushing her wheelchair out. So She's still rocking and rolling. Come on. Oh, yeah. The pictures make you look that way or her that way, but come on. <laughs> It's like they say that about me, but then you have to wheel me out into the stage. Come on. That would be great. She's going to be at the Cabot, Beverly, Massachusetts. I'm trying <laughs> I'm oh, trying boy. to get rid of my Boston accent. No, to I want to have the mop. You want to be like Boston boy. <laughs> Boston. She might find that rather attractive. Yeah. Well, I'm she going with my wife, so, you know, it's not going to. Oh, that's right. She couldn't hear at her age. Come on. <laughs> all that loud music all this time. Um, yeah, she hasn't got a new album, says she. She's not. There's no new product coming out. She's just kind of no, not since the last couple of years. She she had an album a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Was there any hits? Yeah. I don't know if there were any hits. You know, a lot of these. The album's good. It's a good album. Was it called he but Heavy Metal Floss or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget what it's called. I don't know if it's. Living like a runaway or relentless or living with your hair in a bun. At yes. Five. <laughs> 61, right? You, you got to make it rhyme. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, big comeback tour. Well, Joe Jett's yeah. still touring, but then she yeah. never really stopped. No. Seems like she's always been around, so, you know. 
Yeah, Lita Ford's been around for a bit. I mean, I think they she was married to Jim Gillette, and they were they left the country for a while after th- 2001, and then they returned and stuff. And she's been on tour, I think, for the last few years. Is it at casinos? <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah, well, th- this is going to be at uh, I think it's the Cabot, which is like a uh, like a little theater. Wow, that's great. Yeah, good, good for her. She yeah. she's making money and doing what she did. For 30, 40 years, and yeah. she didn't have to go to work at, like, the Blockbuster or McDonald's or anything. Yeah, like me, right? Yeah, yeah. Super size. <laughs> Super size it. Well, well, speaking of Blockbuster, we've got an author on today that, um, now, he is writing, a, we call it Young Adult Steampunk Fantasy Book. So let's mm-hmm. find out what that is. Let's help this this old guy here. So now the new book is called Hunted by Fire, and it's Mr. Jim Hepburn. So thank you for being here, Jim. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Al. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Well, Jim, uh, now let's let's find out this. Now help this old guy here. It's like steampunk. Yeah. So what what does that mean for someone that's like Lita Ford's age. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of means, you know, it's it's a fantasy world with elements of technology and of steam power. So, you know, typical uh, typical fantasy might have, you know, sword and board, horse and horse and ride kind of uh, kind of gig, but uh, but steampunk could have have a lot more things. It could have steam engines in it, it could have airships, it could have uh, it could have all sorts of stuff. So it kind of opens up uh, another avenue in a lot of ways. But but, but what does that mean? So like. What timing is this? What 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 time does this happen um, in? So your book takes place in what year? It's a it's a fantasy world, so it would be in a, in a medieval esque style of uh, of world. There, you could probably think of it uh, probably something around the fourteen hundreds, maybe if if somebody had maybe figured out how to build a steam engine a little bit ahead of time. So a little bit of a uh, little bit of a combination of elements there that kind of go into making it. So, and steampunk itself is just kind of the, um, you're throwing in steam-powered industrial world kind of into your into your medieval time? Yeah, little little touches of it here and there uh, in Hunted by Fire specifically. It's mostly a, just a medieval world there. It's just, the, it's it's on the cusp. It's, it's kind of coming up, uh, it's dawning on the world, I guess, the technology in a lot of ways. So it, uh, it and it's used to kind of open up a lot of possibilities for the characters and for the story. And, uh, and yeah, something, something other than just your typical, you know, using magic, sort of fighting sword, tooth and nail uh, sort of story. Everyday stuff, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <Yeah. laughs> depending on what you do, but yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. lots yeah, of worlds well. you could jump in there. Well, so now, how does someone like you develop this? So, what are you creating this fantasy world first, and then putting characters into it, or are you creating characters and decide, well, I'm going to put them into a world that I'm going to make? Like, where does this start? Yeah, so it's definitely a little bit more of the second. Tolkien. Uh, did the first, built the whole world, uh, made lore for it and history and the whole thing, and then decided the story that was going to unfold that he wanted to focus his writing on. I was kind of doing it the other way, similar to how George R. R. Martin had done it a little bit, where you start with a concept and, and some characters and, and the sort of story you want to tell, and then you build the world around them and, and spread it out as they go in a way that still feels real and, uh, and immersive. So Tolkien, is this someone I should... Pick up and read. That would be, uh, be JRR, yes. <laughs> might have seen a movie or two. You never know. <laughs> and they're from back in 2004, so there might not be as much of an excuse. But uh, Right. But, right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll look on Amazon and see if I can find this Tolkien. It's about a person. ring. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> ring. 
Yeah. So <laughs> if, in creating a world, what's the rules? What are your rules when you create a fantasy world? Well, you gotta, you got it's all gotta make sense. It's all got to, uh, there's gotta be some kind of structure that a reader can delve into and, and, and latch onto to have some kind of understanding of, um, of what could or could not happen in the story. And so as long as you're faithful to that, you can do, you can do anything that you can imagine within those kind of bound sets. But you're creating magic too, right? So when you have fantasy magic sort of rules, whose whose rules do you follow? Like I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out because I want to write a book like this, and um, so how do I do that? Well, actually, for the magic part, I avoided that a little bit in my world in in Hunted by Fire. Magic is kind of it's kind of ritualistic and it's it's distant and it's it's not something. If if somebody ran into that, it would be. They would have a they would have a reaction similar to how we would react to that probably nowadays um um maybe or maybe or maybe how people would have reacted back in the 1400s kind of you know with fear and and misunderstanding so it's not it's not commonplace by any means uh, so unfortunately I can't help you there because I totally avoided that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, do you build you know your your magical system? Do you do you build it off of historical sources or is this just your imagination? Do you do you sit down and, and, and create and, and kind of craft the system uh, that you use within within the novel? I, it would be very much the second one where you would sit down and, and craft it and figure out how how it works. What are the rules? What are the limitations? Uh, what what are, what's possible for somebody to achieve in this? And, and does that make sense? And is that entertaining? And, and does that kind of does that kind of flow? But specifically, though, in Hunted by Fire, uh, magic is much more used almost as a as an unknown threat in a lot of ways. It, it's something that the characters don't have a means to understand quite yet. They're not, uh, they're, they're interacting with it maybe, maybe in ways they don't, in, in kind of mysterious ways, uh, on the fringes of, of what's happening to them and in the events of the story. But it's by no means a main, a main theme or a main, uh, a main tool that they use. So now this is based, your main character is a 15 year old. And his name's Felix. So, how did, how did you develop that character? Where did that where did he come from? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of uh, I, I think maybe a lot of authors probably do this to some extent. But Felix was developed a little bit from me when I was fifteen, and then I took aspects of other folks that I knew that uh, that had displayed maybe some characteristics that I really liked or that I knew could be. That could make up a really good and memorable character, and I, uh, I, I kind of imbued them into him. And so, when uh, when Felix talks, or when I write from Felix's perspective, there's a lot of, uh, I guess there's a lot of that that kind of goes into it, and 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 a lot of uh, a lot of those personality traits that I kind of pick up. But uh, but by helping, I, I think kind of having it from my own perspective there first really kind of helps. I think kind of set a good realistic character when, when a reader's writing it, so he sounds believable and, and he's uh, he can immerse them in a, in the same way because he uh, what he sees and what he feels is relatable in a lot of ways. So it kind of started with me. So in a lot of ways, but uh, like I said, kind of pulling in and mixing different traits from, uh, from different folks that I know and different uh, and different people that uh, you experience in life. Well, you know, I was, I was surprised to learn that like 20 to 50% of people have no internal dialogue oh, yeah. in their minds, right? You've probably heard this. And do you have an internal monologue? Can you I, hear your characters? Is that how you create dialogue, or is it some other way? 
No, you know, you know, I'm actually, I would say I'm definitely part of that 20 to 50 percent. Right, I don't have an internal monologue <laughs> of any of any kind. I, I'm not sure how that works. Really, it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about that. But uh, it, what goes through my head if if it's not dialogue, what goes through maybe it's just pictures. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, no, I, you know what, I think I, I kind of I like to speak out loud a little bit sometimes as I as it, you write and you it, it helps. I think a lot of ways. Like would somebody actually say? So-and-so, well, if you say it out loud, you can kind of get a good gist. And, and would that person say that if they were 15? Would they say that in this kind of situation? Would they say that uh, with the type of personality that they have? Uh, and you can and you can kind of tweak and alter it based on that. But that's what, that's what editing is for, too, so editing helps. Now, the timing. So when you when you do a different timing, like you said, this is maybe 1,400 or somewhere, you know, some you, you leave it kind of open. But do you kind of focus or do you worry about the language, the slang, and the behaviors of your people or – do they fit the time of 1400 or do they fit today? Like, how do you do that? Yes, very much so. I, uh, that's actually, that, that occurs all the time when, when I'm doing something because, or when I'm doing something, when I'm writing, uh, when I'm writing something about what they're going to say, because I find, uh, it's so easy to make a slip and say something that refers to, let's say, like modern day slang or, or that a technology that maybe existed, exists now, but doesn't exist back then. Like, for example, uh, the other day I had a character who was thinking about uh, something and he didn't miss, he didn't understand something that another character told him. So he said, I, I actually physically wrote out, it didn't compute. And then I sat there and I said, well, that doesn't make any kind of sense at all because <laughs> that doesn't fit the, uh, that wouldn't fit the time nor place nor, uh, yeah, would, would anybody have any idea of what a computer is? So it, uh, yeah, it kind of slips in there, but, um, you do your best to kind of, I think, take it out while still trying to be, uh, relevant. To the language that uh, of the current day. Do you kind of go back and study that time period, or do you kind of look at old papers or uh, something like that? Like, how do you go listen to old Lita Ford tapes? Like, what what to get back to the 1400s? What do you? <laughs> yeah, start to go to the local library. No, I uh, no, you know, it's the language. I think I, it was really important for because it's for it's for young it's for young adults, right? It's for teenagers in a lot of ways, and so I didn't want any I didn't want too much of the language to be um, unreadable or unrelatable in a lot of ways. So I, I wanted the language that the characters had and the way that they spoke to be modern enough for them to understand, but just to, just to overtly or just to miss, I should say, any, just any kind of major technological references or, or anything like that to keep it, uh, to keep the story going and, and to keep things from kind of tripping up, I guess, right? So, so I don't think, uh, I don't know if a young person, you know, if you ever, I, I think back to in high school when I had to read uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which is, you know, 1800s era and such different language. It's so, it's so, so different. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that would uh, go over very well to the young person picking up a book, hope going to chapters, picking up the book or, or something, hoping that it's going to be a, uh, hoping it's going to be their next great find. And, uh, and then they, they open it up and they, and, it, and it's all older English. So I definitely, definitely wanted to avoid that in every way. Uh, so keeping the language as modern as possible is a good way to kind of, I think, avoid that. What type of restrictions are placed on young adult stories as, as opposed to stories that are exclusively written for adults? Yeah, well, it's, it's a lot of things I think you could probably, uh, you probably would think of and, and imagine, right? Like, uh, I think sexual, overt, any, any kind of drug, lots of drug use or, or uh, a lot of the more adult themes of gore and um, things like that. Uh, a lot of the darker things you kind of have to avoid, but there's kind of a challenge in that I think in a lot of ways too, because kids nowadays they're so they're so exposed to everything, right? And it takes a lot to surprise them or or make them 
make them feel a certain way without having it overtly adult. And that's a, that's a line that's really hard to tread. I, uh, You're not writing a lot of sex and violence in it? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm trying to <laughs> I – want, I want parents to buy the book and be happy they bought the book <laughs> for their kid. But, uh, no, I thought um, Harry Potter did that really well, kind of closer towards the end there. Uh, Harry Potter, of course, does a lot of things very well. But uh, towards the end of the books of Harry Potter, there's a, there's a couple instances where it just – very elegantly touches on the possibility of something darker with one of the villains and, and, and Hermione, one of the main characters there, but she did an excellent job of, of touching on it and then totally skating by it. And so that was something that I always wanted to emulate if it was ever, um, whenever those, whenever those kind of themes might ever pop up, not that they pop up ever, uh, or very often, but, uh, it, you know, like it's it's hard sometimes, I think, to kind of draw to walk that line of being completely PG, I guess, in a lot of ways, but still being faithful to what could be happening out there in a way that could engage uh, a teenager nowadays with all the with all they're exposed to. The way I understand this is book one. So you're planning a series of books yeah. on this. Uh, how, do, how do you do that originally? Do you have this kind of mapped out of how many books you want to do and how many themes and and things you want your characters to go through or is it something that happens just as you go yeah no so definitely there, there is definitely an overarching plan for sure so you uh at least in my case and i know of course everybody has their own little way of doing the of things like this and it's so interesting to hear those for me i had wanted to start my characters in a place where they were the most uh adaptable and the most or the most changeable i guess the most malleable really is the better way to say it where they're younger and there's lots of things that could happen to them and they don't really know exactly where their lives are going to head yet or how they're going to have to adapt and, and change to suit their surroundings and what will happen to them. But um, in terms of the, where you kind of want to aim this thing, this kind of series and what kind of story you want to tell, I, I I had some scenes in my head that I always really imagined that I always dreamed of writing one day that kind of building up towards big, epic, kind of grandiose scenes, emotional scenes, uh, uh, something that would really, things that really kind of tugged on me or that I, I would imagine would tug on me as a, as a young person or as a reader that I really wanted to have other people experience. So, but a lot of those scenes, you know, like, and, and so you kind of, I think, build towards those scenes a little bit every time. Uh, there's probably a couple throughout each book that, uh, that you, you want to put in there and, because you're trying to tell these emotional scenes and these and these things that will really impact people. So in terms of the the direction, I would kind of think it's where's the where those scenes kind of lead you, and what kind of characters have to be in those scenes to to make them real and uh, and and emotional. And that would be where the stories would lead to and from, I guess. I'm wondering how you keep track of everything in in your series novels. Um, do you have a do you have a system that you use? Do you um, did you create a series Bible? Um, how, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I think a series Bible is maybe the way that people would refer to it. As I when I started doing originally was I found it difficult when I was editing chapters uh, early on and trying to kind of tie in the bigger story. I, I found I would lose little things that I wanted to hook in later on to to, to add richness to the story. So I ended up with every chapter I would have a separate document. I would and I would jot down things that had happened and uh, whatever a character, maybe a character might've referred to a country far off in the world, or maybe they would have referred to some, some kind of technology or some kind of political event or, or a relationship or, or, or anything like that. So 
I kind of just started to collect all these chapter notes uh, as I wrote all these chapters. And so then, to your point, I had to kind of conglomerate them. So then I spent some time after the first book was done uh, collecting it all on on, uh, on a big Bible, I guess, a document that that, uh, that I have. And, and I do that now still with any kind of book that uh, – with the book that I'm doing now, the second one, I – and do that every chapter and, and just kind of take these little notes and make sure that they don't crisscross and, and kind of reread them every now and then and keep it all fresh in the mind to uh, to make sure there's uh, I'm following all the rules, as it were. Is, is each book going to stand on their own or are people going to have to read this uh, from book one on? Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a, definitely a series that they would have to read from book one on to uh, to really get the full breadth of the character. So uh, that's kind of the vision right now, maybe doing a series of, Maybe five or six or seven, just kind of just going, just kind of keep going, some, and have something that not only tells a really epic and, and awesome story that somebody could, but something that could, uh, something that somebody could be really excited to to pick up one day and go, oh, like there's there's not only one book, there's seven. That's awesome, and they can delve into that for a really long time. That's something that I always wanted to. With each book, uh, and now you've got book one here. Um, is there a subtext or a theme or some sort of thing you want people to get out of the book besides the entertainment value of, of a fantasy? Yeah, yeah, there, there is a slight, uh, there is a slight uh, theme there for sure that I would hope some people would pick up. And it's related to high school uh, and STEM, um, STEM subjects that people experience. I find that, I guess, out there in the world, like a lot of books and, and media are focused on young men or young people really have characters who always get really good at physical combat. It's, and that's fun. It's exciting. And, and people are drawn to that, me included, right? It's always a great, it's always great uh, to have that kind of conflict uh, to read, but Hunted by Fire, I think makes a slight distinction. It has a lot of that in it too, but it makes a slight distinction because real life, I don't think is always like that. Uh, when you're a kid growing up, many, if not all the biggest battles you'll face, uh, they can't be solved physically. They can only be solved mentally with, um, you know, like things like discipline and cooperation and logic and force of will and assertiveness and, and whatnot. So it, it was important to have a main character for a young adult fantasy book uh, that a teenager could really root for, um, but who is really well armed to, to solve all their problems uh, with their mind in a lot of ways. And then uh, that's related, I think, too, to the going back to the whole STEM thing, because in high school, a lot of kids are trying to find, figure out who they are and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. Everybody always asks them, right? It's like the number one question you ask of somebody who's between the ages of 16 and 22. What are you going to do? Like, what's the next thing you're going to do? Like, what do you think you're drawn to? And uh, I think they're like, you know, there's this kind of big dichotomy of either being an arts kid or a science kid. And that's how I, that's how it was pitched to me. Or that's how I understood it when I was that age. You know, you're trying to figure out what you're good at. And, and, and sometimes you might categorize yourself as an arts kid or a science kid if you maybe get a bad grade at something or if you struggle with a teacher that you don't relate to or sometimes a parent can, can kind of categorize a child like that too. It, it all depends, but uh, either way it happens. I find obviously that most are, are avoidant of the maths and the sciences and the engineering and the, and the statistics. And it's too bad, I think, in a lot of ways because there's so much that you can do in the world that relates to that. Uh, you can do lots, you can do lots with both, but for somebody who reads Hunted by Fire, uh, and who experiences the challenges that Felix has as a character, I'd really hope that even if they're really drawn later in life to something artsy or something to, with communications, like all those really important things too, I'd hope that they would maybe be encouraged or excited to just try again to kind of grasp at maths and sciences before they kind of write it off right away when they're 
when they're 16 and, and rule it is not for them. Yeah. Like I want it to be a DJ. Spin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tracks, yeah. You can still do yeah. that. I'm, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could pick that up and, and have a go at that. I think it'd be a good sign. No. No. I... No. <laughs> no. No. I'm I'm too good of a dancer, so I'm going to keep on dancing. Mm. You know, taking over for Ellen. Dancing right away. Yeah, taking over for the Ellen show. <laughs> So where does this start for someone like you? How did you, I mean, when you were back in high school, is this something you always saw that you're going to be this writer and you're going to be writing books like this and fantasies or was it kind of something that came along later? Yeah, no, I, you know, I never really envisioned myself writing a book until I was older, but when I, when I was in high school, I was, a, I was an avid consumer of all things. I, I was, I was seeking out books, anything that, you know, all, you, you go through all the great ones so fast, you devour those in a day, and uh, you seek something else to kind of either get you by or, or find a role model in or, or something that is a, some, a little bit of escapism when you're kind of going through the grind of, of high school or of growing up, really, in a lot of ways. So it, uh, when I went to university, in, in Canadian university, we... Uh, we, you know, I, I did an arts program and I, I read so much uh, as an assignment and not really so much for fun that I kind of actually got out of writing. And then it wasn't really until I uh, was a little bit, I was kind of in my mid-20s that I picked it up again because I, I suddenly felt this need to, I really wanted to make, to write the book that I would have loved as a kid because sometimes it's really hard to find good books as a kid, especially as a young male. Not to say anything about the young females out there, but there's lots of there's lots of young adult fantasy for for young females and and lots of stuff they love and, and are really passionate about. And uh, I think it's a little bit harder to find a good book as a young as a young man or as a parent of a young man in a lot of ways. So I wanted to I wanted to write something that I would have really resonated with and something that I think they would really resonate with as well when they read it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so was there something that actually encouraged you to actually try and write a book and see if you could get it published or was there someone or something or how did that come about yeah actually you're right so there, there was a couple little moments uh along the way so in high school uh you know i of course naturally grabbed i was na, na, i felt like the thing i was naturally good at was was english i was always good at writing and reading and 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 i excelled in english very well and there's a couple uh, assignments that were given to us once in one in grade grade 10 and one in grade 12 where you were given your own story to write up your own you can make your own fantasy story or it could be about whatever you wanted the world was your oyster it just had to it had to be eloquent and, and you had to write it out and it had to be several pages long I, I i found that when i started those assignments i really latched onto them and i and i they became little passion projects of mine and so specifically the one in grade 12 there, there was a there was a girl in high school who, um, you know, and she she was the most popular girl in school, you know, classic, classic story like that. Um, she was a friend, but she didn't really relate at all to English. She wasn't interested in school. She was interested in partying and in, in being cool and, and whatnot. And so we were in the same English class. And so I had written this passion project of, you know, of of cat people and, and this this fantasy world of cat people and this revenge story that was going on. And it was it was kind of, it was fresh and melodramatic, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was fun for me to do. And so I remember on the day we handed it all to the teacher <laughs> and then the teacher unbeknownst to us all stood up and said, okay, well, great. Now you're all going to read each other's and edit them. 
And that was mortifying <laughs> because I had no idea that anybody else was going to read this, this kind of nerdy passion project that I had had. And, and lo and behold, and I should have known this ahead of time, it's something this would happen, but lo and behold, my story went right to this girl's desk. And, you know, so she you know, opened it up and was reading it. And, and I had, I had one in front of me. So I read mine really quickly, you know, sweating the whole time, wondering what she was going to say. And, uh, I was prepared for all sorts of kind of responses that maybe were discouraging or, or something that would be, uh, uh, something terrifying, I guess. But, uh, to my surprise, she slammed it. I remember she slammed the paper back on the desk. She stood up and she said, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. And then marched over to my desk and threw it down on my desk. And I was blown away. I, uh, I, uh, it was such a, it was such a, one of those memorable moments that you have from your youth. I was stunned. And I vaguely remember the teacher kind of, kind of shouting and saying something to this girl at the time. But, uh, but yeah, but it, it meant a lot to me. That's something that I had written or something that I had done or created had such an effect on somebody like that. I didn't think it would ever be possible. Well, at least you didn't make her go jump out the window or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would have been the opposite reaction. That would have been, yeah, that would have been horrible, of course, but uh, not fun at all. But so I guess basically fast forwarding back to when I was 25 and I kind of sat by my computer one day and typed out a few words at that moment reminded me that it might be possible. It might be, it might be something that you could do to, to kind of have that same effect, but on, uh, but on young people as a whole in a way that I kind of wanted to, to have for myself at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, in today's world too, with social media and, uh, so much easy access to someone like yourself. You know, when you're putting out a book, like people can just say and do anything they want. How how do you regulate that, or or do you do you pay attention to reviews, or what people are saying or doing about you, or do you kind of stay away from that? No, I, I keep a thumb on it a little bit. It's uh, in terms of reviews, they've uh, they've been decent so far. They haven't. Nobody's been too uh, nobody's been too mean. Um, but I value the feedback most from people who I know are, they're either, they're either right in that age range that I'm trying to hint. Like if they're, you know, they're, they're 12 to 12 to 18, uh, young man, young woman sort of idea. Like those ones mean a little bit more to me. I love reading those ones a little bit extra carefully, uh, to, to try and absorb everything that I can. And then of course, people that, uh, people, people who have no stake in it at all. So people who, who can, who assess the book and, and what it's worth and what it's saying and, and its entertainment value from a, from a point that's, uh, that's uh, a bit outside the realm of being just a simple consumer in a way. So, so I guess, I guess, yes, I, I definitely keep a bit of a thumb on it though. The, uh, the feedback that you would get from stuff like that wouldn't deviate from the scenes that you eventually want to write. It would more so just, I think, affect how you write them and hopefully all for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. Do you think writing this first book and getting it out, how do you think it's changed you as a writer? I think it kind of just started the writing journey in a lot of ways. I uh, I wondered when I wrote it at the time, because it was so new and such a task to undertake, I, I wondered if once I once I had done it and put it out there, if I was just going to be kind of done. Like, I, like, you know, like how sometimes you, you accomplish a goal and, and then you move on, but I really learned that even though I put it out there, I was so, I was still so hungry to keep telling the story and to, to really, to really elicit emotions from the, from the folks that, uh, from the folks that read it 
that uh, I kind of realized that it's going to be something that's part of me for for a long time coming, and that I and that's not something I, I typically expected. I, I I wasn't sure when, um, or I wasn't sure how that would work in a lot of ways, but that was that was the biggest surprise on my end. So, what's next for you now? The book's out now, and you're doing a little touring or a little work promoting it. Um, you're working on book two, you said. Yeah, working on book two. I'm about seventy percent done. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, and so life rolls on in that way, right? Just, just right in the, right in the second one, getting it done, finished, polished, sending that out there, right in the third one and, uh, kind of continuing on this journey that's been, that's been starting and to hopefully make this, like I said, this series that is, uh, that tells a grand and, and exciting story. Well, do you, do you see yourself ever, uh, changing the type of writing you're doing from fantasy to something different? I don't know. I, you know what? Actually, I, I, I've maybe pictured myself maybe down the road altering from young adults to adult writing. But no, I don't think I've ever actually considered not writing in fantasy. And I think that's mostly just because fantasy was what I always loved to read. I wasn't really too, too interested in other stuff. Sometimes, sometimes things, the odd thing would pop up. But fantasy was the, was the bread and butter for me that excited me. Uh, for a lot, for most of my life and still does. So I don't think, uh, I think staying in that realm would just be the most fun in the, in a lot of ways. So how do people find you? How do people find Jim? Uh, you on social media, you're on website. Um, where, whereabouts do people come and find you? Yeah, I, I am on social media, though I don't claim to be the master at it. Um, that, that maybe, that maybe people say I should be, but, uh, I'm on Instagram. Instagram is probably the most active one for me at author Jim Hepburn. I'm on Facebook as author Jim Hepburn also. And then you can also find my website, www.authorjimhepburn.ca. Perfect. Of course, we'll have that up for people to find it so they can find you with one click. Sure. Real super easy and stuff. You must have been writing some of, some of this over the pandemic, I would imagine. How was that for you? I was, I was, and it was decent. Though I, um, over the pandemic, I had several friends who had been laid off uh, at the time. Though I, I, for whatever reason, the job that I was in right then, I was, I was there full time. So it, nothing really changed too much for me, apart from the fact that there wasn't much to do afterwards at work. There wasn't a lot of socializing, so it was a bit. It was, it was tough, but I think it really helped um, vent a lot of the uh, the uncertainty that was going on at the time. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting times, you know. Do you think any of the weird events going on around or the stress and the the fights and the, the trucker campaign up there and all that, do you think any of that sort of seeps into your writing? Do you think it makes it a little darker at times? I don't know about darker. I would hope. I, I hope this, actually. I hope it makes things more intense. And I think that's probably important for a young person in, in, in the same things, too, because I think young people feel things a little bit more intensely than us. Us seasoned veterans do who have a little bit more emotional uh, regulation and a little bit more life experience. So I would hope that maybe that intensity that might be in there uh, could just help it relate more. Ideally, who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. Something you'll see later when you get older and look back. When oh, yeah. you lead a Ford's age. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, anyway, we've had a good conversation. Now, of course, the, the your latest book or your new book, your first book, book one of fires of innovation and it's hunted by fire and the uh our guest has been the author of this book jim hepburn thank you for being here yeah thanks for having me guys good to meet you thanks jim you've been listening to the house of mystery radio show to find out more about our guests 